On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome back New York Times bestselling author Emily Henry. Emily is the author of Beach Read, People We Meet on Vacation, Book Lovers, A Million Junes, The Love That Split the World, and of course, her new novel, Happy Place, debuted at number one on both the print hardcover and the combined print ebook list of the New York Times bestseller. You'd think I had anything to do with it. I'm so excited <laughs> for you. <laughs> I think you might have. Nothing. No. Listen. Congratulations, Emily, and welcome back to Pop Fiction Women. Thank you so much, Corinne. I'm really happy to be talking to you both again. Uh, so before we get into this book, and we have so much to talk about with, with Harriet and Wynne, but tell us what that moment was like of finding out you were number one instantly, because we've seen you, we're both big fans of your social media, pre-publication, kind of really busting your butt, getting the word out, talking. And it's so organic from this side. You're just talking to people and excited because you are kind of asking readers to go on a, a little bit of a new journey with you with this book. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One is kind of the logistics of the hardcover and then also an ensemble that expands the romance genre. So tell us about that moment when you when you knew we were all along for the ride. <laughs> I mean, I will admit I knew that people were largely along for the ride because my editor was checking in with numbers. And so I was really relieved because obviously when they come to an author and tell them like, we are moving you into hardcover, that is your first thought. You're like, oh no, no one's going to read this one. So I was nervous about that. And like you said, it's also a bit different of a book and I don't read my own reviews except for sometimes the five star ones but I knew that in some ways it was becoming a divisive book with early copies just because some people wanted more romance and some people were really excited about the ensemble cast so I kind of knew that readers were on board to an extent but then my publishing team wanted to just schedule a call for around the time that the list drops and there's this thing in publishing where we're all kind of superstitious especially about the list like before Beach Read came out, the possibility of hitting the list had, was never even mentioned. And then the day that it came out, I was thinking, is this possible? Should I be bracing for this? And I texted my editor and later I found out that she was kind of freaking out that I texted her because she was like, no, we weren't going to mention it. Don't talk. <laughs> yeah. So she scheduled this team meeting for around the same time, but it was called like super casual Wednesday hangout <laughs> even though it was like my the team t- and then it was also like the director of like marketing and the, or of publicity and like the you know the publisher. super casual yeah like we're all just hanging <laughs> out at 4 45 on zoom yeah so we were just kind oh, of catching gosh. up and talking and then suddenly I saw one of my my colleagues just kind of go and I didn't know if that was a good face or a bad face. So, and then she told me and she started with the hardcover list, but then she didn't like say anything else after that. And obviously we are all sort of like, what if, what if crossing our fingers for the other one? So I also immediately just had this sinking, which is so stupid because hitting any list is amazing, but I really wanted to be on the combined list too. So I was just kind of like, oh, she's not saying it because, but she was just scrolling. (laughs) She was just scrolling when we got to that. And (laughs) yeah, it was pretty amazing. And I think the most amazing piece of it was the audiobook list because that is monthly. And what that means is basically that the audiobook sold well enough to hit number seven just in the few days that the book was out, which I think is a huge testament to the fact that Julia Whalen also is like, 
Yeah. Just a yes. Leviathan. Yeah. 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 Yes, she is. Incredible. I, li- I will listen to anything she reads. I've told Corinne the only drawback is now every book to me, if it's not read by Julia Whalen, I'm just like, what is, who are you? And what is, like, I, I expect to hear her voice in my ears. So I know. Yeah. <laughs> and she makes incredible. all of the dialogue funnier. She makes all of the emotions more potent. It's like exactly who you would hope would be reading your books like for sure and also it's like I love her taste and she's at the point where she can kind of just choose which books she wants to do and so it is a pretty reasonable bet if I look up like Julia Whalen audiobooks I'm gonna enjoy the books not just because of her narration but like the book itself Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. What a moment. Jeez. Well, tell us about the book. Tell our listeners about the the happy place and and what inspired you. Sure. So happy place. The like elevator pitch is that it's about Harriet and Wynne who've been a couple since they got together in college about eight years ago. And part of their relationship is every summer they go with their best friends to this family cottage on the coast of Maine and have the most magical time outside of reality and work and all of that. And this year's trip is going to be a little bit different because Harriet and Wynne have secretly broken up and she is going to go on the trip alone. They found an excuse to get him out of it. She's going to go and break the news. Only when she shows up, she finds out that her friend's family is selling the cottage and this will be their last week ever. And it's very emotional and very intense And so Harriet and Wynn decide, okay, we are kind of backed into a corner here. We don't want to ruin their magical last week. We'll let them think we're still together for just a few more days. And then we'll go home or go our separate ways and wait a few days and then be like, hey, we decided to break up, (laughs) even though they're totally not speaking for five months. So that was, that's the basic premise. And it actually started with well, a couple different points, but one was I just thought the idea of having to pretend to be together specifically on a trip with all other couples was innately funny, whether it was two people who just wanted to score an invitation to a couple's trip that they're <laughs> never included on or, yeah. you know, a former couple who like has to pretend to still be a couple. And so the second point that kind of pushed me in that direction was I was watching a lot of the 1940s comedy of remarriage screwball films and mm. I thought those were so fun and so ridiculous and I wanted to try my hand at it. But what always happens is I take a trope that I think is really fun and usually happens in sort of a heightened reality. And then when I overlay kind of my worldview and my writing style on top of that, it ends up feeling very different. And so even though it's fake dating in this ostensibly screwball scenario, it's like, well, they were a couple for eight years. I, I'm not going to be able to make it just like funny that they broke up. Yes. Funny right. that they're sharing a room now. So there is definitely a lot of humor permeating it. But it also, you know, has sort of a melancholy vibe in a lot of ways because it's the end of an era. And also because I just really wanted to buy into the fact that these two people have been intimately involved with each other's lives for like a decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 You really set up that melancholy note from the start with, like you said, that they are selling the cottage. So of course there's going to be nostalgia and also like what's next and what are we doing? And so you set us up right from the start to know that there, there'll be that threaded through, but then also it's an Emily Henry book. So, you know, there's going to be good romance and fun too, but that, Thank you. I loved that piece. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely a couple of later drafts that were entirely for me about adding jokes <laughs> being like yeah. I want this. like honestly the yeah. book is way less overtly sad than it started out 
I am relieved to say it still has the melancholy feeling, but I mean, everybody's going to hate me for this, but it was kind of what I was like thinking about wrestling with. There was a dog who died, (laughs) not through traumatic, not through traumatic means, but an old, old dog who was like supposed to be representative of their relationship. And my editor was like, honey, (laughs) (laughs) we just not kill the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. There's too much going on. And the dog came out and and he is still happily living in cut pages. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm kind of glad actually. I'm with your editor. (laughs) Me too. I mean, I kept telling her, like, I chose this scenario because I thought it would be so fun. And why am I just keying into the most gut-wrenching version of it? And she was like, well, let me help you out. (laughs) Don't have a a pet dog. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny because I always tell her, it's like, she just, my books truly would not be what they are without her. I know that there are some people who are very lightly edited and, and maybe are more kind of like in a vacuum, but my, I mean, if you love Emily Henry books, it's partly because you love my editors, Amanda Bergeron and Sarir Cutter, which I might be saying Sarir's last name wrong, Sarir Cutter. When we were talking about Julia, that's the same thing as like with yes. Amanda. It's like anytime she, I, I see that she's posted a book on release day and I then I know that it's one of hers. I'm like, well, I want to read that because she edits a really wide range, but I have yet to read anything of hers that I don't totally love and like you said she's got carly fortune she's got dolan perkins valdez ashley poston oh yeah and i met her yeah also lovely and wonderful and yeah amanda is and she and she was sally thorne's first editor before um, she moved publishers so yeah yeah so she's like you can trust the amanda stamp i would say yes love that love that Well, let's talk about Harriet. I read an article in which you said that every time you put a book out, you have a fear about how your heroine is going to be received and that you realized it's because you put these little parts of yourself into these characters. So really, you're afraid of how people will see you, which I thought was so interesting. So but then you realize, which we all do when we read them, that ultimately we always relate to these women. I think I told you last time with book lovers that like you went into my brain to write Nora. So, (laughs) but tell us about your development of Harriet or Harry and which little part of yourself you put in her that you're worried maybe people may reject. I mean, I wouldn't even call it a little part because I think what it is so often (laughs) is I take something that feels really huge in me and then I build a character around that. And it's kind of weird because all of these women look very different in the way that they perceive things and and interact with the world. But I think in real life, people are so much more contradictory and you like kind of can't build your characters that way because it's just too confusing. But when you're building a character, it's like you take that one thing and you're like, that's her thing. And so for Harriet it's the people pleasing. And it's kind of funny that I didn't realize this thing about myself and my writing and publishing process until I had a book that was about a people pleaser. And so I think I kind of touched on this in the article you're talking about, but it was like with January, I was like, everybody's going to think she's way too emotional and she cries too much. And then with Poppy, it was like, they're going to think she's so annoying and that she's, you know, jokes at inappropriate times. And why can't she just take things seriously and be open to serious conversations? And with Nora, I was like, they're going to think she's like a bitch. (laughs) And then with Harriet, it was sort of like, the absence of any of that. It's like, they're going to think she's too wishy-washy and she doesn't take enough control in her life or have any agency. And it's so funny because all of those things look kind of disparate and like 
they're not the same woman, but they are. And I think that that's just kind of a testament to the fact that it feels like there's very narrow constraints around what an ideal woman would be. Mm. And so (laughs) every, it's like every single facet of your personality is on like a slider and you're trying to find that magic you know setting where you're like that yes. yeah you're like this is where i'm supposed to be and everyone yeah. will like this and i'll be palatable and loved if i do yeah. this and so it's like funny but not too loud and like right. confident but not a bitch and in touch with your emotions but not emotional and and pleasant to be around but not spineless it's like it's impossible i mean it's it really is impossible and it, and you know i think everybody likes to say that your like 30s and 40s are just about not caring, <laughs> like not caring, but I have not gotten to that point of not caring yet. So that was Harriet. <laughs> Harriet was my attempt to get closer to not caring. Well, I'll tell you, I'm not sure that I, I'm not there either, but this book really made me realize where I still hold on to it the most. Like yeah. I have let go of it so much with, with friends because I have a great group of friends who accept me and yeah. in my marriage and outside, you know, strangers certainly let go of that first, but at work, it's the hardest place for me to let go of it. I am just so terrified of disappointing people at yeah. work. And it's just a part of me that I can't let go of. And and it's funny because you're also saying, like, I could be such a bitch and <laughs> lash out to to the other side right. at work, but not to, like, my superiors. Then I was, like, the people yeah. pleaser always. Yeah. So, like, it's so complicated. You're right. And you're constantly adjusting those settings. Like, where can I vent? Where can I not vent? Where can I be myself? And yeah. it's, yeah, it's a... It, it's a it's so I interesting because like- it's, like, that says so much to... I mean, <laughs> not to psychoanalyze, but my first mm-hmm. thought is, like, what is your relationship to authority? That that's how you oh, feel. Yeah. Because... For me, it's so much more with the people that I am super close to that I'm just terrified of of letting them down, but also feel like I'm constantly letting them down. And I'm like, okay, what does this say about me? That the oh. people I'm closest to, I'm like, you're going to get sick of me at some point or I'm going to fail you yeah. too hard. Oh, Emily, I'll raise you on that psychoanalysis <laughs> because I used to work in finance as a lawyer and all of my bosses yeah. were men. And I had no problem challenging their authority. For me, it was just a different thing. It's maybe because I was closer to my father and I, we had an easy dynamic. Now that I'm in publishing and I have an editor who's and an agent who are both women, I'm so much more terrified. Hi, mommy issues. Mommy issues. (laughs) Oh yeah. I can completely see that. Yes. That is so interesting. And also the funny thing, I, I mean, I can't speak to your specific agent and editor, but a funny thing about publishing which of course is like a woman dominated field overall is that almost everyone is also so nice. And actually that can be yes. kind oh. of the thing that's scarier oh, yeah, that's, where it's yeah. like, you feel like a bull yeah. in a China shop. Cause you're like, everyone's so nice. Am I like a monster? <laughs> like, oh, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm so like, no, like and blunt coming, in a way compared to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And coming from, we're both lawyers and have been in big law firms working for men. And now that this makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Cause Corinne, I can see what yes. you're saying. You can be a certain way with these men and just in that environment, even if it's not men, but I, I would know what to do in a nice environment. What are you talking about? Oh I my gosh. No idea what to do with nice And people. I'm having trouble. I, I'm not in that realm of being so nice. Like to your point, Emily, about the yeah. bowl in the China shop. I'm like, I'm not so nice. Sometimes I'm blunt and sometimes yes. I'm like really laying it out on the table. And oh God, does everyone hate me now yeah. even more? 
Well, and it's like, it's so funny because I always think about the difference between being like kind and sweet. And I would say I'm a kind person, but I would not say I'm a sweet person. I think people are surprised by that because I'm like blonde and wear bright colors. But I think, you know, I I think I'm very kind and emotionally generous and just generous in my life. But I also think that I can be kind of jarring to people who don't know me because yeah, I, I, you know, I was the youngest of only, only had older brothers. And I think it was, you know, I have like the ultimate little sister complex where I'm just like, I'm allowed to be here. (laughs) Just that is me. Yeah. I knew we were both Leo's. I didn't know we were both the youngest and the only girl. That is a whole nother layer right there. Yeah. I love that we have like I think the most stereotypical Leo hair that you can possibly have. Like when I see someone with like wavy blonde hair, I'm like, you better be a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if not. You need to change that. What, hair. Is that a perm? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get off the couch for a minute and talk Back about the book. Happy Place. Yes, I want to talk about the narrative because it's split into present day Harriet's real life at Sabrina's summer house on the coast of Maine, as we've already discussed. And and then also chapters where Harriet is going to her happy place. And these are moments in the past in places like the cottage and also Mattingly, Vermont and Morningside Heights, New York City. And as she investigates the past, the narrative goes to Harriet's dark place too. We won't talk too much about that. But tell me how you knew you had to tell this story this way. And also when like how m- oh my like- gosh so late yeah. <laughs> so late yeah yeah so it was just a mess of flashbacks for a long for many drafts it was a mess of flashbacks and that's always so tricky to to keep straight and you know you want the when you're using flashbacks it's like you want it to feel seamless and like it's happening in the right place but you also want it to feel distinct and separate from the you know kind of a story so that it's clear to the reader what's going on and also when you're using so many flashbacks it's so confusing because I feel like you kind of need to have them in chronological order for the reader to go along the you know smoothest journey and that wasn't necessarily happening the way that I was using the flashbacks and the title of the book was originally a different title it was called while I was drafting it was called couples trip and there were a lot of questions about whether that seems like maybe it was suggesting swingers and we didn't think that it was like fun enough. And we also have this kind of plan, plan, I don't know. So Amanda Bergeron, my editor, and I, one thing we really enjoyed about working on these books together is with every title where we talk about having like a winky element. And that's the thing that I think some readers are like, baffled <laughs> by the titles and then the readers who get it are like oh that's what that title specifically means and, th- and they buy into it like beach read I, yes. I feel like it's like you know it's about a woman trying to write a beach read and then it's also about what makes a beach read like that's yes. the question of the book and with people we meet on vacation it's like you know the people that she's meeting are mostly actually just all these different versions of herself and of Alex her best friend so for this one Couples trip had no winky element. It was just sort of the the concept. And when we started brainstorming titles that we thought would be more inviting and warm, but also have that have another layer. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like one of the very first, if not the very first title that I pitched was Happy Place. But we were overthinking everything and we're like, does that sound like a thriller? Because it definitely could be (laughs) with the right cover. (laughs) And so we yes. we just went down such a long, deep Rabin Warren, and then we yeah. Rabbit Warren, and then we came back and ended up 
showing a list of titles to the wider team. And they were like, yeah, happy place, obviously. So once that was settled, or even when I pitched it, I thought, oh my God, this is the answer. I can structure yeah. this book around Harriet's various happy places. happy places. And it just totally made sense because obviously, you know, the concept is like this book takes place in their happy place overall. But then there's also all of these moments that she finds herself going back to whenever she's not doing so hot. Yeah. And a big part of the book is the idea that so many of us have these sort of happy places that are far outside of our daily lives. And with the last few years of everybody's life shrinking yeah. so much, that became so apparent. If you didn't actually like your daily life, it was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's why there were like so many pandemic divorces, so many pandemic moves, so many pandemic job changes, people just being like, oh, no, this is all I have suddenly. And it's not. And now I have to face yeah. that this isn't necessarily what I want. So interestingly, I have read one review of the book, like a trade review that was kind of like, it was very positive, but it was like, this is strange because it's such a pandemic book, but it's not at all about the pandemic. Pandemic is never mentioned. But I think that was the case in, in the concept of the happy place for me was like so much about where are you escaping to? And, you know, why is that not more of a part of your daily life? If you're kind of living for the weekend, if you're like muscling yeah. through 51 weeks of the year to get to this one week, <laughs> then maybe yeah. you should kind of think about making some changes. <laughs> mm -hmm. In the, the other 51 weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So let's go to Wynne. We have to get to Wynne. So Wynne and, and Harriet, as you said, have been dating since college. They were engaged for years. He refers to himself, which I love, as slow release boring. Not to be confused with her who's slow release hot, which I also yeah. totally relate to. But <laughs> yes. So slow release boring because he thinks the more you get to know him, the less interesting he is. He's very self-deprecating, quick to note that he's not smart or not as smart as her, not as accomplished, very laid back. But at some point, you know, he, he actually thinks he'll bring Harry down and he never yeah. wants to do that because he loves her. And in fact, loving her is sort of the one thing he's good at. You know, it's what comes naturally to him. And I love that. But what I realized is in my romance novels, I've realized that what I love is when the male character has his own arc and growth and yeah. you know that you come to see that they also have to reflect and grow and do their own work so which we have here with Wynn so tell us about your development of Wynn and sort of his arc oh my gosh again this so ev almost everything that works in this book was unfortunately the product of much 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 editing and rewriting there were very few things that when i wrote the first draft clicked and were right this it was a book that i felt like i had to fight for every second of every day and when like i felt like i knew his spirit from the very beginning i felt like i knew you know just like who he really was at his core but as far as his arc that happened very gradually, like the kind of thing where it's like, I didn't even totally see the moment that it all clicked, but it was probably, and I, I won't, you know, give spoilers, but I think when you get to sort of the conversation surrounding why they actually broke up mm -hmm. and then what's happened in the months since then, that was when I really, you know, like that kind of just happened. That kind of just came out. It wasn't an intentional, mm. oh, we need to give him an arc. It was like, I just need to understand this character. I need to believe that why they broke up. And I need to believe that there's a chance that they could make it work now. And it was, I think, a really 
when I got to that to that scene to, to understanding what really ended their relationship the first time, it felt so real to me. And you know, I haven't been in that exact situation, but for it feels like I have lived that situation because I think you know, mm. like there's so much. I'm trying to like talk around this where I'm like, yeah, not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah, spoiling yeah, it. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's the thing in romance readership about how we all hate like the miscommunication trope. And I think that gets used very widely at this point, but my belief is that it started out as a way to describe that situation where a couple have fallen in love. And then one of them like overhears part of a conversation and is like, takes it at face value and it's very damning information and then she storms off and he's like wait let me explain and she's like no no I heard enough and then you know they go their separate ways and then later she realizes no you thought you heard this but this is what you really heard I think that is the true miscommunication trope it's a very easy way of being like you know this thing broke them up but it has almost no basis in Reality, And I knew that because Wynne and Harriet are avoiding a lot of important conversations, some readers would not be able to handle that and they would think of that as miscommunication. But I think, I don't think of it as miscommunication. I think of it as, first of all, there's some lying going on. There's some like active Mm. deceiving, not in a cruel way, just, you know, they're not being honest about their feelings and what's happening, which definitely happens in real life and I believe the character's motivation yeah yes and then there's also the added layer of I feel like I can talk about this because I don't think this is a spoiler but there's the added layer of mental illness involved like when you people love to say like depression lies and like when you're Mm. depressed you don't even really know what that means you're like I don't have any concept of what you're talking about I, I think that you you might even assume it's just the idea that it'll never get better. And you're like, well, that, yeah, okay, whatever. That's what people mean when they say depression lies. But it's so much deeper and more insidious than that because it really yeah. contorts every little detail of your life. And you're so sure that you're looking at things the right way, the real yeah. way, the only true way. And when people try and you know convince you to consider therapy or medicine or whatever – you're like, well, that wouldn't help because this is my life. Like my life is not going to change based on any of those things. And it's just impossible when you're in that dark place to believe that something like therapy or medicine could suddenly just make everything look so different different, without yeah. anything mm-hmm. actually changing. And I've yeah. seen that time and again in my life, in the lives of people I'm close to, when they finally get the help that they need. And it's like, this is so weird. Like, it's so weird. Like nothing changed. And suddenly it's like, I, I understand that I like can't even work myself back into that logic that I had yeah. before of why things yeah. were, were so bad. And, and so some of that is like Harriet and Wynne are dealing with their own like mental health yes. issues and their mm-hmm. views of how things are, are like very warped. Yeah. 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 And it also lies about the trajectory. This It's certain about the trajectory yes. of life. It is. I yes. know X, Y, and Z has happened. Therefore, A, B, C, then D, E, F has to happen. There's right. no other possible way. And that is just not true. Um, right. That's that, such a good that point. Can, yeah. Yeah. That can be changing perspective too. So I want to talk about the trope of, of this couple because they're faking it, but they are really in love with each other. I mean, there's right. no <laughs> doubt about that. These They have a, a great relationship or have had a strong bond. 
but yet they are faking it for their friends and they're and it's not working right now where mm-hmm. they are. And so how did you decide to make that their issue, their core issue that the, that these were questions of like what if it's I love you but it's not enough and that's not yeah. going to work and what were you developing there? I think partly it was just logistical because I knew from the beginning that like I said, I needed to really believe that they loved each other, really believe in the reason that they broke up and understand it, and then really believe in the possibility of them making it work. And that's really hard to find, a, again, like a more lighthearted way in. Yeah. Like you think about the reasons couples who really love each other split up. And a lot of times it's grief at the core of it. It's like, you know, I love you, but this thing has plunged me into this hole and I'm alone in here. And like, I, no matter what, I can't reach you kind of thing. So like I said, I didn't really know what the cause of the end of their relationship was until I wrote toward it and, and saw little pieces come together. And I knew from, you know, I knew from the beginning that I didn't really want to have either of them have an affair because I knew that would be just very, very, very hard to write and get the reader on board. So on board. I knew that wasn't yeah. going to be the case. And even if it's just sort of logistical stuff, keeping them apart, like they're, you know, they're kind of in a long distance relationship, which is not really a spoiler. She's finishing her residency in San Francisco and he is caring for his ailing mother in Montana. So there's like a lot, just a lot of little factors at play because I wanted, I didn't want them to be blameless but I didn't want them to have been cruel to each other or or careless with each other. Yeah, or one big thing, because that's actually the way it usually is. Yes. It's usually yeah. these little hurts that build yeah. up and, mm-hmm. and instead of just one big thing to blame right. it on. Yeah, I love that. It's more true to life, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I think is very true to life that is a through line with really all of the characters is the way their relationships are affected by the programming they've received from their own Mm. upbringing. This is where we get a little bit back on the couch (laughs) because a lot of the parental relationships that each of them have experienced, their parents' marriages have really affected the way they are in relationships, which again, is true to life. It is the first relationship we all see and observe. It's our first model. So we love to play armchair psychologists on this podcast. We've already done it today. So for us, it was really refreshing and relatable to kind of see this damage explored because we all live it. So why was that something you wanted to sort of dig deep into? Every single book, I end up there, you know, because I I think... It's so hard. Again, it's it's like my books for me as a writer are often just me tr- like working really hard to understand the characters. And then the, the story is what comes out of that. It's like, I want to know who this person is. I want to know what their deepest hurt is. And I want to know how it's being mirrored now and what they're going to do to overcome it or, you know, make cr- progress at least. And every time I'm writing a love story, when I'm trying to think of like what is holding them back from having the love that they really want, it's almost always themselves. Like, and I, I, I know in real life, that's not the only thing that holds you back from finding love. Like being on apps, I know for my friends is horrible, hellish. Like I'm not blaming anyone who can't find a love that they yeah. want. Like, you know, but when you're in a relationship with someone you do love, who does love you, a lot of the friction, a lot of the miscommunication, a lot of the struggles will come from both of your unique triggers 
and history and coping mechanisms. And I think with yes. every book, so much of what I'm dealing with is specifically taking this character's coping mechanism and showing how it doesn't work anymore. And so for Harriet, that is the people pleasing. It's like she learned very young from her parents' tumultuous relationship in life that she could make things smooth and easy and pleasant by being smooth and easy and pleasant and just kind of like being whatever her parents needed her to be to to maintain her sense of peace in her home. And she's carried that forward with her in all of her relationships. But people-pleasing in relationships, it sounds like it would work, <laughs> but it doesn't really work. It, it will backfire eventually, like most coping mechanisms. They're good for the time being. Yeah. They get you through those vulnerable childhood years. And then you have to learn a healthier way of dealing with things once you are an adult with like full use of your logic and brain. <laughs> yes, your fully formed brain. Yes. Yes. Well, related to that, one of the specific things that Harriet needs rewiring on is how to fight yeah. and to engage in conflict. And when and the consequence being that if you don't, it looks like you don't care. It looks yeah. like apathy or indifference. Kate and I talk all the time about how I think the opposite of love is indifference and yeah. and how also how intimate fighting can be. We were just watching Beef Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. Not it's yet, so but it's, good. Yeah, but seen the trailer. Had, yeah, these two really strangers good. are fighting and you're like, God, this is so intimate. They're sharing yeah. so much intimacy, even though they're complete strangers. And I also was just rewatching 10 Things I Hate About You. The line between love and hate for me is a big thing. But this is something Harriet just is so foreign to her. It's not something she understands. So I wanted to talk about Harriet's arc in that way. Is that also part of her people pleasing for you? I think that it is. I definitely think that it is. But I also think it's another facet of her childhood where it was she was watching her parents disagree about things and instead of continuing a fight or getting to a resolution, they would just kind of, you know, have that initial moment and then just separate, separate and go their own ways and nothing would ever get worked through. And the house would feel tenser after the fact and worse. And mm. so it was like for her disagreements and fighting meant a lack of intimacy specifically. It meant like that's the moment that the person will pull away from you mm -hmm. and you won't yes. have that closeness anymore. Whereas Wynn comes from a family with two parents who are very much in love. And I feel very lucky to be the product of two people who are very much in love. And growing up, it's kind of like a joke with my whole family about like we would go on these family <laughs> road trips and my parents would, they would wake us up at like three in the morning because the best way to save money on a vacation would be you drive down at three in the morning, you get there, you yeah, have a full yeah. day where you didn't pay for a motel the night. Exactly. Before. And so they would like wake us up at three in the morning, pile us in the car. Everybody would be just kind of like running around. My brothers and I would be like nearly asleep. Everybody's so grumpy. My parents are bickering and fighting. The like first 15 minutes of your day are like absolutely nightmarish. They're like just on each other, just squabbling. And then we get yeah. into the, the van and we pull away from the neighborhood and they've both got their thermoses of coffee. And then my dad would just like sigh out of relief and he mm. would just be like, I'm sorry, honey. And like reach over and, and grab my mom's hand. And then he would be like, you guys, your mom is so great. And we would all just be oh. like in the backseat, oh. like, we don't care. Let us go to sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
but I saw that like from a young age, I saw that fighting was not something to be afraid of. It was like annoying. It would really annoy my brothers and and me, but it wasn't, it never felt like a threat and they were never mean to each other. They would be snippy and grumpy, but they were never insulting each other. They were never calling each other names. So I luckily had fighting modeled to me very, very well. And it's something I have always been pretty good at in romantic relationships. Whereas my partner had like a parent who would blow up and then everybody would kind of like, yeah, yeah, separate and try and That's wait, me. wait it out. Yeah. yeah. And so he like, he says all the time that I had to teach him to fight. Like, and it would, it would come across as apathy sometimes where I'd be like, why don't you care? Yes. Um, yeah. Cause That's he would just kind of shut down. Like, There's always one down. of each. Yes, there is. Yeah. Like somebody has to teach the other person and he's yes. taught me all kinds of important things other too. Things. But yeah, yeah, other things, but not how to fight. That was the thing where it was like, you're not going to be mean to me. Like you can be yeah. snippy. You can be grumpy, maybe a little bit rude, but you're never going to call me a name. You're never going to like raise your voice in a scary way. Like, yeah. you know, right. so yeah. well, my therapist says it's conflict, not combat. Combat yes. is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's name right. calling, whatever. Conflict we're good with. Yeah. Combat. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 And so. with people pleasing, you can conflate the two where you're like, yes. And it's, it's so interesting because we're talking about, you know, where do we find ourselves people pleasing? And in my romantic relationships, like I said, I've always been like, oh, yeah, you argue with the person you're most intimate with. You argue about things and that's a safe space to do that. But outside of that, with friendships, I'm like, I would rather die. <laughs> yes. I like, do not want to argue with my friends ever. I do not want conflict. It's so hard to do any kind of confrontation for me. And I don't, you know, I'm still working on on understanding all of that. But it's really interesting to have these like two characters who are kind of you know I don't know it's like Harriet is both she's like she doesn't know how to argue with her romantic partner and she also doesn't know how to have any sense of unrest between her and her friends like everything needs to be smooth I have to agree with you on every single thing you say yes oh it's fascinating oh my gosh my mind is just spinning I know the, the end piece being resolution or separate and tension that is such a huge difference one of my I have my son when he was in kindergarten came home with like a mother's day they like make him fill out a mother's day thing and one of the things he wrote was that we always fight in my family but we always make up and and it's okay or something it was like the sweetest thing and I was like yeah it's perfect but also I was like oh maybe I've like he really knows no. we fight, <laughs> but <laughs> but now I feel much better yeah. about it because yeah he knows... he's learning that it's not a bad thing to fight it's not an unsafe thing yeah right. you know oh. to disagree it's not unsafe just got goosebumps I like thank that. you yes okay yeah okay I have to ask about one line real quick I every once in a blue moon Corinne knows this there's a line in a book that stops me in my tracks and I have to read it over a hundred times and I think I know what it means but I'm not <laughs> sure and I'm like this was one of them I haven't had one in a while I had one yes it's Thoreau true that I still yes. talk about so yes. I gotta ask you about this one okay, okay. want want in italics is kind of a thief it's a door in your heart and once you know it's there you'll spend your life longing for whatever is behind it tell me about this line want is a thief please please yeah so to me that's about the fact that when you're again when you're like a people pleaser you get so used to not asking questions of yourself And it can be really like, this is such a small example, but like, if you're one of multiple siblings 
and you know, you know, like everybody's going to want to go through a different drive through. And so ultimately what's going to happen is your, your parents are going to be like, we're choosing the drive through and you will, <laughs> you will live with it. And, you know, if you're a person who doesn't want to rock the boat ever and wants to make everyone happy, then you try to not have your own opinions. A lot of times mm. you try to be like, I'm fine with anything. I, you know, that's totally cool. I'll find something there. Like you're trying to require the least and something happens sometimes where you stumble on something you didn't know you could want like you something you didn't know about and it mm -hmm. changes you forever because you're like now I like am going to long for this thing that before mm -hmm. this I didn't even know existed and for Harriet that's you know what her love with Wynn is like she thought she knew what kind of relationship she was sort of after based on what she didn't want <laughs> basically mm -hmm. and then once she has his love it's like that changes things forever and now every time that you know there's something and th this choice in front of her she's always going to be thinking about this other thing and mm -hmm. she doesn't think she can have that other thing and also the the idea of a door in your heart I feel like specifically when you meet people new people who you love new when you fall in love with a person or a friend for the first time so much of it is it feels like it opens this new part of yourself and it's this yeah. feeling of expansion where you're like I'm different and I'm more than I thought I was I have this whole other space that you know I didn't know about and this person has found a way to open it in me and once you know that that exists again it's like hard to to live without it and it's sort of like you'd rather just not <laughs> rather no. know I guess it's the yes. opposite of that it's better to have loved and lost is that line <laughs> uh, polar yes. opposite. Oh, yes it's like That's I don't want to know than I could have ever even imagined your answer mm. there so I want to go you. with that kind of idea too because when and harry talk a lot about loving each other in other universes multiverses that their love is is more than just right here and right now and and some astrologers say that like whoever you meet in your life this is like a, a counterpoint something that has been carried on from yeah. before and i was just wondering if this is something you believe in multiverses universes love that that spans lifetimes i was just yeah. curious what you're I think I yeah. do believe in multiverses. I haven't read the, the most recent take on it, but for a while there, it seemed like enough scientists were saying, yes, this is the way that it works, that I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm trusting you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think like the one thing that's not quite multiverse, but sort of tangential to that is I think a lot about time. And the idea that based on what we know of physics, it's like time is just another coordinate. And with Happy Place, like part of what I was doing with this place in Maine, like I was thinking about like, what are our happy places? And when you think about a physical place, it's usually connected to people and it's usually connected to a sort of significant time in your life or a significant thing that happened in an event. And the one that I always come back to is Lake Michigan, which is where I went to college. Mm. And I had so many really important formative experiences there. And when I go back to Lake Michigan, I really do feel like I'm more me than I am in some other places just because I've been there at these different points in my life. Oh. And it feels like this compacting of time where it's like, I'm here with all of these younger stupider oh. yeah. <laughs> Emily's and then also with all of the Emily's that are, that are going to keep coming back to this place and so I feel like more me and more grounded and more connected to everyone I've been and to wherever I'm going and 
I think that there are relationships that are like that too. And like, I've been with my partner since I was 18 years old. So we've been together, like, it won't be that much longer until it's like, we've been together longer more than yeah. we were. Not. And my, yeah. yeah. And and my parents got together when they were 17 and or they got married when they were 17 and 19. And they're now in their mid 60s. And so they really, really, really grew up together. And that's not for everyone. And like, I feel like if I were a parent, I would be like, absolutely not. Like your brain is way too yes. small, but it really worked in their case. Yeah. And so far it's really working in, in our case. And it's this feeling that you got to be all of these different people with this one person and somehow all of them worked. And that's a miracle. Even in friendships, that's a miracle. When you have a friend yeah. who you've known and loved since you were 10 and you're like, we have nothing in common with who we were then accept each other. That's so strange and miraculous feeling to me. It does feel like maybe not faded, but just significant yeah. in all of time and space. And I think with like the idea of the multiverse, it's just like an extension of that where it's like, we've loved each other in all these different times. And if time really is a coordinate, then we're still out there in all of those points. Like someone, like yes. we are still having that experience elsewhere. It's happening at this exact second. Every single moment we spent together is, is also happening. And oh I find at a lot of comfort time. in that. <laughs> yeah. I find a lot of, you know, that's a, a way that I deal with grief too, is just to think about the fact that like, no, that's still happening that, you know, every moment you've had with the person you love is still happening somewhere. So I don't know. I think oh the multiverse God, is just I like the more extreme that. version of that. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's really helpful for that me. But it's true. Is. It's like literally true. That's like the thing that's yes. so weird about it. So like, it's literally true. You still get to be out there right. having that moment right now. And yeah, you can't like hop into it so far and maybe that's for the best, but that, that version of you is there doing that. And I think, yeah, that's just so, so, so beautiful that oh, wow. love really cannot be ended or taken away no matter what. Oh my God. Love cannot be ended or taken away no matter what. Wow. My parents too. My parents met when they were 13 and 14 and married oh when they were 17 and 18 and they are still together. That mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah. And you're like, you know, yes. I, again, it's like, I know that's the exception. Would not be thrilled if I had a 17 year old daughter. Same. Same. And they wouldn't be yeah. either. Like, I think that's one thing, like, even though my partner and I have been together for so, so long now, like we didn't get married for like we still got married young but like not you know there was we've been through enough phases of life already to be like somehow this is still working (laughs) like we'll keep going it's so amazing yeah and Kate knows I say that all the time with my husband I feel like we've had many different marriages in the same marriage (laughs) yeah it's so and you know that's something that I think people who who get to have long marriages are always like this is something really cool about it something really frustrating sometimes and and hard, but also something really cool that you can have one relationship that just, yeah, yeah hits every, yeah. it's just everything. They've got, it's every different thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they've got your number on it all. You're right. That yes. it can be a challenge too. They know it all. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Wow. This is yeah. amazing. I, we, I, I hate to come to a close because we I don't know. want to come to a close, but we will close with how we always close, which is to ask what you are loving, you know, maybe something you're obsessed with, the TV show. The last show that I was really (laughs) obsessed with was Severance. And so I'm like, waiting for that to come back. And then actually, no, that was the second to last. The one after that, that I was obsessed with was Bad Sisters. And I feel like not enough people have watched Bad Sisters yet. Oh, Bad Sisters. Oh, it's so good. So good. We have done that. Good. I'm glad to hear that because I'm just like. Good stuff. 
something something magic is happening in in Ireland right now. There's all kinds of good stuff. Yes. Good great yeah. actors. <gasps> That's yeah. so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's and right. just breaking forms. I love that. I mean, I'd never mm-hmm. seen something where kind of the same thing happens over and over with a different sister it's i won't i don't want to spoil anything yeah. so i'm being a little it vague but it's so fascinating it's like sometimes yeah, when I you're playing it. with form like that it can just become taxing and you're like i get it <laughs> that's clever but with this one it's like you know it's so compelling all the it way works through. oh it's so good and we've yes. never liked an opening theme song more than that i don't oh know why yes. usually Who i by skip fire. intro but I sit it's and listen so to every time. And the really long, like, so good so, machine, like, going yes. through the Yes. Yeah, so good. Ah, exactly. uh, yes. So good. All right. Well, Emily, thank you. We can't wait to see some your adaptations. I know there are quite a few in the works. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We will see. I'm excited it's, about it. We just got to get studios to pay writers so we can <laughs> end the strike yes. And, yes, and move forward. Absolutely. So. If some studio Thank exec you. is listening, do us all a, yes. a solid and pay your yes. I saw one of some of the picket signs that people are sharing on social media are fantastic. And one of them was maybe make your character a little more likable. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. you studio oh exec, yes. you're not likable. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. But hurry up because we need Emily Henry adaptations on our TVs or screens immediately. So, well, um, Emily, congratulations. Yes. yes. Thank you for joining us and, th- and congratulations. Happy place. You're knocked it out of the park. So. Thank you Fantastic. so much. We are Thank screaming it from me. the rooftops, but apparently everyone's already listening.